0: It's all you, darling. Hey everyone, I am Ricky. My name is Ricky and uh I am an alcoholic. Uh, thank you for letting me come on here tonight to share my story with the group. Um so uh yeah, um a little background about myself. Um I've been sober now uh 2 years. Um Actually celebrated my two year anniversary on december twenty first two thousand twenty um as Megan mentioned, oh my god was or is my home group um I actually have three home groups um uh, oh my God, reason and recovery, and then I have a Maryland group that I visit uh online every tuesday um and all three groups have been vital to my uh my recovery uh, but um that's where I'm at now, but how did I get here right? uh so i grew up um in a home where i saw a lot of alcohol um my my uh my my stepdad was an alcoholic good man loved me uh unconditionally loved me like i was his own kid um worked hard but i you know i used to see him come home every night uh with a 40 ounce of budweiser from the package store that's what we used to call them in the liquor stores in Massachusetts packies. Um. And then, yeah, I so I grew up seeing a lot of that, a lot of alcohol. Uh, we would have big get-togethers. Our dad would call, have his friends come over, cards. This is in the 80s when you could sit in the front on the, you know, the little armrest as a kid. You know, no one really gave two craps about your, uh, you know, seatbelts and whatnot. All right. Uh, my biolo- my biological father uh, was a um, he was uh, an addict as well and an alcoholic. Um, so I kind of saw a little bit of what he was going through. Um, so I say all that that or at least that much of it so far because I truly believe we are a product of our environment. At least I know I am. Right. Uh, I grew up with seeing that around me constantly. Um, and so it was socially acceptable. Uh, when I got into my teens, I uh, you know, started dabbling. I remember the first time I got drunk, uh, me and my cousins uh, hung out by a, a store and had some Portuguese guy uh, who barely spoke any English by us alcohol, um, paid him like 10 bucks uh, back in the early 90s. Um, and uh, even dabbled in and and you know as at a young age you dabbled with drugs, marijuana mostly did acid once absolutely hated it um so i wasn't afraid to to uh to to to, to live on the wild side um even smoke cigarettes Newports was my thing um then when i hit uh when i hit twenty one um the floodgates opened you know it was it was party time. Um, and I enjoyed it. You know, I, I got to go out legally drinking with friends and at first it was just like weekends. Right. Um, and then eventually it slowly evolved into becoming more of a frequent thing, but a lot of it had to, I think some of it at that time in my life, it had to do with a lot of my own my own insecurities of myself as a, as a young man at that time, um, I, in my early twenties, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and um, I had a lot of self-esteem issues. I really struggled with anxiety, um, which progressively got worse as I, as I got older. Um, so, you know, it, it became, to the point it got to the point where I was every night i was I was getting beer um in fact, one of the things that um I was really happy to know that I wasn't the only one who did this, but I had a a rotation of of package stores that I would hit because there was a bit of shame even in my early twenties like going into the same package store like nice late old lady older lady probably in her fifties at this point when I was like in my early twenties you know she would see me and give me this like side eye like oh you're back you know and um so i got into a rotation at a different liquor store every night um and i kind of i got married at that by the time i was 24 i got married um I had a kid on the way and so some of those insecurities and anxieties got a lot worse right cuz like you know am i going to be a good dad am i going to be able to provide for my for my wife and kid and, um, and and in a way, alcohol helped me alleviate some of those stressors, right? And uh, so I knew at that point I had a problem. Um, and, you know, my wife tolerated it. Even at that, you know, when we were young in our 20s, she tolerated it. And uh, I tried to control it as much as I could. And, um, I tried to control it as much as I could. And then, um, you know, I was able to maybe string a few days together and, you know, just stick to the light stuff, beer, occasional wine. But then when I turned 30, I discovered rum and Diet Coke. And that was a quick and easy way to get, um, to really numb myself. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing. Um, I think um, it got to the point where the peak of my alcoholism, um, I was drinking a, a liter of rum in like four days. Uh, I would sleep, take a nap in the middle, of, instead of eating my lunch at work, be so hungover instead of eating my lunch. Um I'd use my lunch break to go take a nap in the car to try to kind of reset myself, you know and, and and then that night you know I'd be back at it again seven o'clock um so uh and it just started becoming a cycle that I just was not enjoying anymore all right uh I hit a point when my son was uh in middle school um it was about 2012. I had dropped them off. Um, at this point, I was 34. Yeah, so uh, I had dropped them off at school. And that morning, I was like, I'd had enough. Like, I, I was drinking to the point where I was blacking out. I couldn't remember. Um, I couldn't remember conversations. Um, and a lot of times, just going along with everyone, like, oh, yeah, I remember that conversation. Yeah, I remember that. And I had no freaking clue what they were talking about. Um, but yeah, so this m- one morning, you know, I dropped my kid off and uh, I just remember hitting every stoplight and at every red light, I had my iPhone because at the time I, I was doing implementation work. I, I had a company issue phone with unlimited data at that time, which is a big deal. Um, and I was on Google searching for programs to 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 get help. It was a Friday um, I went to the office and i i I landed on a couple of potential places, right, but for the most part, what I was finding was an intense inpatient uh treatment programs, which was off the table. you know I had to work you know couldn't be away from my family uh, and you know it was a main source of income so i uh I decided to call this I decided I was going to call this one place. Uh, As actually not far from where I worked Um, so I went over to my boss at that time it was like noon one o'clock in the afternoon or I think it was one or two o'clock in the afternoon or whatever and I just remember saying hey Jason I'm leaving you know I'm just not feeling well and you know my job at that time allowed me that flexibility I really didn't have a schedule I just worked as long as work got done the clients were happy you know go ahead you can work from home so my boss was like go ahead And I just remember calling this, I called the number and I heard this, this older gentleman with a deep voice, um, Southern draw. Uh, and, uh, I was like, Hey, you know, this is all paraphrasing courses so long ago, about 10 years ago. I just basically told him like, Hey, look, I need help. You know, this and that. And he's all like, uh, he said to me, he's like, well, yeah. He says, yeah, if you want to come by, come on by Monday morning. And I cut him off. I was like, no, I go, you don't understand. I says, I'm on my way now. And he's like, he paused. And he was like, okay. So he's like, you know where we are? I'm like, yep. About a mile, or two down the road. And I drove there, Dr. Duke's office, uh, Awakening Recovery in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I walked into his office, sat down and I just threw up my life. <laughs> and told them where I was and how desperate I was for help. And um, I'm glad I found that place because I ended up um, ended up going there for about three months, uh, once, a, once during the three times a week. So like I'd have an hour therapy session with them, uh, almost like a sponsorship, right. Telling them what uh, was going on in my, in my life and uh um how I felt and so and then in the evenings twice a week Tuesdays and Thursdays I think it was uh Wednesdays and Thursdays we'd have uh uh, like a group meeting and it was a very small intimate session and so it was you know we'd always start off with hi my name is Ricky um my choice of drug was rum and coke and um it was almost like a anyway I, I was able to string together a hundred days of sobriety, but by that point, my, my Dr. Duke, you know, he and I talked and he said that my insurance company really wasn't covering anything and I had racked up almost $3,000 in debt. And so he recommended that I do, that I do AA and to, um, and that he would work with me on paying off that debt that I had, uh, that I had racked up going for his services. Um, so then I went to AA, but I hated the, the setting. It was with uh, a bunch of, it was with a bunch of old timers, uh, and nothing against them, right? Nothing against them as traditional AA. It was, um, but it was a very much a young man. You just sit down and you listen and, you know, listen to what the elders have to say and I absolutely hated it. It was almost, it was very insulting, not almost, it was insulting, right? Like, hey, look, you know what I mean? (laughs) I didn't come here to, you know, to be told what to do or whatever. So I only went a couple of times because I was really turned off. And then I got a case of the fuckings, right? Um, And I went back to my ways. And at that point, I was just, I became a professional relapser. Um, And that was my life. For the next few years. Um, I'd be lucky. If I could string together a couple of days. And then I'd be back. Um, And I tried to control myself. uh, Control my drinking by. By. You know. um, Trying to limit the amount I would consume in one evening. And. um, Even going as far as asking my wife. To hide the bottle for me. That's. That was the rationalization that I, I have. The dialogue that was happening in my head at that time. Like, okay, try the bottle. It won't be that bad. And um, But that just really speaks to the disease itself, right? We try to trick ourselves. And um, we think we have control of it. It's bullshit. It controls us. Uh, so then um, I made a couple of more attempts I'd go to AA a couple more times and um, just didn't work. And then finally, in two, March of 2019, um, again, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I decided that this is it, I'm gonna white knuckle it and I'm gonna do what I can. And I managed to get through September without a single drink, and so I was, uh, I did you know, I did fairly well. And then I got towards the end of 2019, I got a little too comfortable. Uh, In fact, I remember going to um, North Carolina for work and I went to an Applebee's and I was like, fuck it, it's one beer, you know? And then I'm like, one beer. And then I wouldn't have a drink for another week or so. Then I'd have another drink. And then it just picked up again from there. And then that got me back down into the rabbit hole with the with the the uh, the rum and cokes again. Uh, except this time around, my body was starting to tell me, like Ricky, we can't keep doing this, dude. Like, it's getting bad at this point in my life. Um, I I would wake up and complete tachycardia in the middle of the night. I'd have to go downstairs and pace for an hour till my heart rate would come back down from like oh my god 120 beats a minute back down to something more normal and i'm on a beta blocker for blood pressure so (laughs) you know um it does a good job of slowing your heart down that medication and so my heart was going off the rails um even waking up and and having nocturnal panic attacks You know, and I I should add that again, that the that part of what got me started was my own anxiety and stress and all that. But that progressively got worse as my drinking continued and got worse. Right. Um, You know, I feel fine the the evening of drinking. The next morning or day, I would be a freaking mess. Um, I, I would lose my, my composure in public places. I'd have to get up and leave flying. Was a was a, was a, was a, a task in itself being cooped up in a tin can at 36,000 feet for upwards to four or five hours. Um, and that's where, you know, I ended up, you know, relying on benzodiazepines to get me through it. You know, that was issued to my doctor, uh, through my doctor. Um, and even, you know, at one point I decided I made the, 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 the genius idea of uh decision to, uh, Hey, let's mix antidepressants with alcohol. And that was, uh, that was a recipe for disaster. Um, wouldn't recommend it. Um, I, I, I was convinced that I was going to die in my sleep and something had to, uh, I had to give Uh, And I chose alcohol over my own sanity. Um, Alcohol was more important than trying to get my life in order, uh, trying to control my mental health. Anywho, so pandemic hits and I'm drinking like a mother every night. And about every week or so, I'm having a problem where I'm having nocturnal panic attacks. um, Having a panic attack in the middle of the day. Or just waking up to a racing heart for no reason. Um, And um, I think by September of 2020, I was like, okay, I got to give this up, right? Um, Because I'm not going to live. I'm not going to make it to 50. right? I'm going to be dead at a young age. Uh, And so I, it's when I stumbled, I, I went on online and I wanted to try AA. And this is where this, where I became a Zoom baby, right? I wanted to try AA again, but I didn't, I wasn't comfortable going in public and not like there was anything going on at that point, you know, in public gatherings because of, we were in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and so I ended up Googling non-religious AA and I landed on, oh my God. Um, as Megan said, you know, that's how we met. Um, and so I ended up dialing in and I remember my, the, 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 the my first meeting with, Oh my God, Max was hosting. Um, and actually I, I actually finally got to meet Max the, the, over the weekend. And I shared that with him, that he was the, the, he was hosting in my first meeting that I attended. I always remember that. Um, anyway, uh, and I went back, and I fell flat on my face again, and then I did it a couple more times, and then finally, Sunday, December 20th, I decided time to unwind again, and I started to pour myself some rum and Cokes. Um, I woke up at 2, 2.30 in the morning, full-blown tachycardia again, couldn't catch my breath, and I was afraid that I was going to have to go to the hospital. And that was that was it. That was the tipping point. And I walked over into the into the garage because that we have a, a refrigerator in our garage, and that's where I would put my, my bottle of rum would be up on top. I ran, walked over, grabbed the rum, um, you know, trying to catch my breath, and I just poured it down the drain and the uh the wash tub in the laundry room. And that was it. Um I, I said to myself that. Uh, I wasn't going to do this anymore. Again, you know, I was going to die. I would be dead if I didn't, if I kept drinking. Right. Um, And besides I've seen a couple of people die as a result of addiction and it's not fun in particular. It's not, it wasn't, it wasn't a a pleasant experience for me let alone whatever they were going through. Right. Like I was a young person and I saw a family friend dying of liver uh, disease, you know, cirrhosis of the liver. Um, Another gentleman in our neighborhood who very nice guy, 40s, maybe a couple of years older than me. Woke up, his wife woke up in the morning and found him dead. Uh, he was very open about his struggles with alcohol with me uh, and my wife. And and um, it turned out that he ended up dying from an enlarged heart and liver, disease, liver failure. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people think that, oh, you know, alcohol is going to destroy your liver, this and that. It's like, you no, know, it does more than that it wreaks havoc on our bodies, Uh, not just our liver, our cardiovascular system, right? And I didn't want that to be me. I didn't want my kid to walk in and see me laying on a hospital bed with a mask oxygen being fed into me. Like when I saw Larry, our friend, when I was 18, 19 years old, saw him laying in the hospital being fed pure oxygen and he's laboring to breathe. And that was the last time I saw him. Or Corey's wife when she woke up. And I want my wife to wake up and see my cold dead body next to her next to her. That's not what I wanted. And that was my time to take action in my own recovery. And so, anyways, I um I decided I was like, I'm gonna do 90 meetings in 90 days. <clears throat> and uh I started going to oh my god. Uh, that's how I found, I I'd go to, Oh my God, three days a week. That's how I found the Maryland group go there on, um, on, uh, um, Tuesday nights, a Kansas city group on, um, Thursday night. And then Saturdays and Sundays, I'd find a random one. Uh, there was one in New York I would go to from time to time, but Saturdays and Sundays I'd be on in a meeting as well. And you know the the times for oh my god and and Kansas City and Maryland were perfect because they were seven o'clock at night my time Eastern time, and that was my time to shine, and so um, it kept me busy the first month, and um, and so I was glad that I was able to to hold it together at least the first few weeks because that was really tough. I remember sitting in a restaurant picking up takeout for me and the family and looking at the bar and I'm seeing everyone drinking and I'm like just the cravings, right. Getting to me. And I just was like, you know, I have to get out of here. So, um, so yeah, so I started, you know, I, I, you know, attending meetings. And then within four months I started helping out or actually six months, I started doing service work at, Oh my God, as a way to, cause I was getting kind of bored, I guess and i and I didn't want to slip back into my my b s right so i uh i ended up um i ended up started doing service work and that kept me engaged in my recovery and then by um i did that from i've been doing that since actually in fact, I help out in some degree not as much as I used to, but i still part still take take part in the meetings help you know, and I jump in and I pinch whenever the, the groups need me or need somebody. Um, and then I finally decided to, to, to go ahead and, and work through the steps. And <laughs> it's funny. I, I jokingly say, tell the story, but like when I, when I walked up to my, well, not walked up because he was on zoom. When I approached my sponsor about sponsoring me, I was nervous as hell. Like you would have thought I was asking him to the prom. That's how, <laughs> that's how scared I was. And I'm glad I went through the steps because it made me realize that I had to, um, I had to, I had a lot of work on myself to do. Like um, I learned about myself. Um, I carried, I had a lot of baggage uh, that was toxic, right? And that's when I realized what AA in the steps was about. You know, as time went on, I realized. You know, yes, the fellowship is here to help keep us honest, right? Um, But the program also taught me how to live life sober, how to deal with things in life without having to rely either on alcohol or trying to or having to fall back onto toxic traits, Um, And so I encourage, you know, newcomers to go through the steps, right? Um, Although not, I didn't, I didn't do traditional, the traditional 12 steps. I went through reason and recovery, six steps, which is just, you know, um, you know, to me, it just cuts out all the God stuff and really focus. It's really centered on cognitive therapy. I didn't even realize that. I remember the first session I had with my sponsor, I jokingly said to him, I'm like, dude, I feel like I should pay you for this because I got so much shit off my chest. Um, so yeah, uh, and I'm thankful for the way things went, right. Um, you know, I've shared this with some of the, with the folks at, oh my God. Um, but, um, shortly after I got sober, my mother, uh, who at the time was 67 years old, fell, broke her ankle with me on the phone. In fact, I was, we, we were FaceTiming one another. And I had to call 911 for her. She was living in Massachusetts. And so um, I flew up to take care of her and help her out. And, and during that process, that first couple of months, we found out she had a mass in her liver. And it turned out to be cancerous. And so, um, you know, I I, I came home to be back with family. My mom was getting better as far as her uh, physical rehab from her her injury from the fall. And I flew back about a month later. Um, actually, I flew back from my son's birthday who had just turned 20. And uh, I flew back in May, the day of my mom's procedure where they removed part of her liver. And we began chemotherapy and I stuck with her um, for the next few months, caring for her and making sure she would be okay. Um, I came back home again. Um, she finished chemo, finished radiation treatment. And then, um, I came, I had to go back because cancer came back and it was worse. And so the reason why I say all that, I stuck with her to her last dying breath. I held her hand, as she, as she went, um, you know, she brought me into this world and, you know, I held her hand as she went out. Um, but I was thankful that I could be there for her sober, be present um, in those moments and to be there with a clear mind, head, uh, a clear mind to help her make some of the most difficult decisions. Right. I don't know how I would have been if I was drinking. I'd be a complete fucking mess probably but i was i'm thankful that i was able to do that in recovery um and i was also thankful that she could see that i was getting my life together you know that i was trying to work on myself uh so um <clears throat> so yeah that was um that was uh up to last year and uh up to last september and um that's What happened with mom, and as it relates to my recovery, but you know, I also, eight months into my recovery, kind of going back some more, I uh, you know, I decided that uh, it was time to address the 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 the, the what was it like, 600 pound gorilla in the room, which is my mental health. Um, I was still struggling with panic attacks and 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 whatnot, and so. I went back to the antidepressant that I had kicked to the curb a couple of years prior, and my only regret was not doing it sooner, um, because I realized like a lot of the the shit that I was dealing with was I was trying to suppress it with alcohol. Um, I'd feel fine when I was drinking. And that's when I was felt comfortable in my skin and I felt calm. Now I'm like that. Right. <laughs> they got to a little blue pill called Zoloft. Um, so yeah, you know, things are, it's no longer a meltdown for me. Um, I find joy in life now. Um, it doesn't require alcohol. Uh, and um, I think I realized I, I may have even had a bit of depression, um as well. Um so yeah, and uh, anybody who struggles with uh, uh mental health, um you know, I encourage you to 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 seek help um to find peace and calm in your life, you know, we all deserve that. So uh so yeah um so since getting sober since all of that I've actually had the opportunity to to help others as well um, through sponsorship. Uh, I, I, my first sponsee, I was scared because, like, the hell do I know about sponsoring? <laughs> you know what I mean? I barely know what the hell I'm doing with myself, you know? But uh, I was able to – I actually helped out a, a gentleman about my age, um, and it was great. Um And I'm currently sponsoring a young woman who is in um, who I got to meet actually this this weekend for the first time face to face. I mean, we've talked countless times on on Mm -hmm. Zoom. Um, Lovely young lady. And um, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be there to to help her. And And I and I'm encouraging her to actually to be to sponsor at some point or at least mentor, you know um you know helps keeps you know keep, keep keeps us engaged in our own recovery and also paying it forward and helping that that next person that's coming in sitting next to us at the meeting you know not not literally but you know um so yeah uh that's kind of my journey in a nutshell i i um there is a a good podcast i don't know if we're allowed to plug any podcasts or anything like that, but um um, there's a podcast by a gentleman who, um, I met through, through the, through, uh, oh my God, um, he has a, a podcast called many paths. Um, and he shared, he's, he's, he shares his podcast. He, he interviews all these people and I I've listened to some of them. I've listened to almost all of them and everyone's journey that I listen to is so intriguing and so, there's a lot that I can, that resonates with me, but it's just also like, wow, it's, uh, um, it is, uh, it's nice to hear that, not nice to hear that people were suffering, right? But nice to know that I, the things that I hear, I wasn't the only one, you know, and it's, it's also nice to see some of the newcomers go through their journey, how they've, how they evolve and grow. You know what I mean? Um to see them come in and collecting their white chip to to suddenly doing service work or even you know ser- even sponsoring someone. So um that's some of the joys of the of the program itself. Um but yeah, um I know we got a lot of time I could keep going. Um about, uh, um, about uh, some of the, uh, some of the, I will share this, like, right. So one of the things that like, when I first got into recovery, my dad, but my dad, I lost my father to lung cancer in 2014. Um, You know, he, he, I told him that I was going, I was seeking help at this uh, awakening recovery. And my dad, my stepfather, mind you, my dad was my biggest cheerleader. He was there rooting me on every step of the way because he knew how difficult it was for him to control his own alcoholism. But by this point, though, he had, you know, he's retired in his almost 70, and he was, you know, he had slowed down quite a bit, which I was really proud of him to do. He was able to to drink just like maybe one or two beers a day instead of drinking the 40 ounce that, you know, so, but he was my biggest chill hitter, And I was uh, very thankful for that. My only regret is that I, you know, you know, I wish he could have been around to see me actually stay sober. So, um, so what am I looking forward to now that I'm um, almost two years into recovery? Well, I am two years into recovery. Um, I want to continue helping people. Uh yeah, I want I have an I I have a uh an idea that I that I wanted to pitch to Raymond for his his podcast because he's uh he's interviewing more and more people. Um just haven't had an opportunity to sit down and 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 chat with him. Um but um I want to do that. Uh and I need to journal more, right? Journaling is important, I think, to getting um it to journaling. Uh it's important, you know, I find it important to help us, you know, not hold in that toxic bullshit that we sometimes get ourselves caught into. So um I need to do more of that and i tell my sponsees journal 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 and i need to do the same you know i'm a terrible leader or not a leader but i'm a terrible sponsor in that sense like you know so anyway i'm going to give up the floor because i've i just threw up my life <laughs> and and uh uh i i don't know much what else i can share other than um you know what i've gone through and i appreciate y'all inviting me uh it means a lot to be able to, to to share my story, you know. Um, and um anybody who might be new to the program here, um, lean into lean into it, uh into the fellowship. Uh don't be afraid to pick up the phone, call somebody, text somebody. Um that's what we're here for. Thank you.